Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Bed Crime Stories. This is Charlie. I just wanted to make a quick announcement before we jump into this brand new, previously recorded episode of Bed Crime Stories. Uh, Bed Crime Stories is going through some changes. Our co-host, Nikki, has decided to step away from the podcast and no longer be a part of the crew. Um, We wish her all the best and are truly grateful for all the time we've gotten to spend with her trading stories over the last 66 episodes. Jovi and I will be moving forward with recording new episodes to bring you our loyal listeners. You will notice that some of our branding, some of our logos will change, as will the schedule for episode storyteller. So you'll more than likely get more back-to-back Charlie episodes, and then we'll throw a Jovi soda at you. And we're going to be adding new segments, new topics of conversation. But at the end of the day, you can expect what you've always gotten out of Bed Crime Stories, which is a weekly true crime podcast where we tell you the stories that keep us all up at night. Thank you so much for sticking around and for for being so supportive and kind. We love all of you humans so, so much. Now let's get to the episode. Hi, my name is Jovi. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed, bed Crime, crime stories. stories. And what is Bed Crime Stories, Jovi? It is a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and we take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. Late at night. Super late at night. With bad dreams and thinking that there's monsters under the bed. Yes. And that's why you always have to keep your feet under the covers. Correct. So the yes. monsters can't get you. And they don't eat your feet. Exactly. Correct. Because you need your feet for walking. Because that's, that's just what, what they'll, they'll do. do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. <clears throat> so. Jovi, tonight I'm going to tell you um, a serial killer story. Ooh. And what I, kind of cereal? Um, extra brand to keep me regular. Okay, got it, got um, it. No, so I, I actually can't remember if I've done a serial killer yet, and I don't think that I have. Um, I can't honestly remember what I had yesterday for lunch, so I really can't actually at all. You did BT, BTK. I did the BTK. Yes. I that say is correct. B2K, which B2K. is not it. A bump, bump, bump. That is... The, <laughs> very different yes but no i am going to be doing a serial killer uh story tonight so tonight i'm going to tell you the story of the green river killer Ooh. gary ridgeway nice yes so my sources tonight are just wikipedia murderpedia okay so um you know i know that we've discussed this on the podcast before sometimes wikipedia just really lays out the story really nicely mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and in the order that i want to kind of tell the story so mm-hmm. i just really pulled the information directly from there ordered it the way that they ordered it um and also did some fact checking on wikipedia on the wikipedia as well so just some info for you okay so let's go ahead and jump in so gary leon ridgeway was born on february 18th 1949 in salt lake city utah he was the middle child of three sons of marion thomas ridgeway um his home life was definitely not good (laughs) not good probably putting it mildly mildly um relatives have described his mother as domineering oh yeah um his father was a bus driver who would often complain about the presence of sex workers around their neighborhood okay um it's been said that when he was young gary witnessed more than one violent argument between his parents so 
Yeah, not great. Um, Gary was a bedwetter. Mm, which one as, of those red flags. Yes, yes, which, as we know, is one of the three traits of the McDonald triad. So bedwetting, animal cruelty, and fire setting. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know that there's a lot of claims that if somebody is presenting more often more than one of those traits, but at least one of those traits, there's definitely a link between that and later serial behavior in their lives. So yes. just something to kind of... You know, give us all a warning about people. Um, after each episode of bedwetting, Gary's mother would wash his genitals. I'm sorry. Yeah, like she would personally do that for him, which is not great. Not great. And he later claimed that he had conflicting feelings of hatred and sexual attraction towards his mother. That's even worse. And that he had fantasized about killing her. <laughs> okay, yeah. sorry. The fantasizing of killing her... I mean, that's a little violent. It's definitely violent. (laughs) But the sexual attraction to your mommy. It's very Oedipus. Um, But it's like, at the same time, you can under... When you're a developing adolescent, Mm. I'm not justifying the the fantasies, of course. But I'm just saying you can, uh, I guess, at least understand Mm -hmm. the, the thought pattern of that, of... As an adolescent, here is this woman who is washing my genitals for me. Um, there may be some sort of, you know, sexual correlation there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. You get it. I mean, I get it. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't get it. But, but I get. It. You understand where that I get where premise this, is coming exactly from. for okay. sure for sure, yeah. for sure. So Gary had an IQ that was recorded in the low eighties. Um, mm. He was dyslexic, and he was held back a grade when he was in high school. Mm. Uh, when he was 16 years old, he led a six-year-old boy into the woods and stabbed him through the ribs, puncturing his liver. Jesus Christ. I know. But thankfully, the boy survived. Thank God. But definitely, like, once again, a nice glimpse into the future behavior of one Mr. Gary Ridgway. So definitely uh, indications of later behavior. So after graduating from high school in 1969, Gary married his first wife, his high school girlfriend, Claudia. Um, he enlisted in the Navy and served in Vietnam. Hmm. He actually did see combat during his time overseas. Um, he was working aboard a supply ship in the Navy. Okay. During his military service, Gary frequently hired the services of sex workers. I mean, I feel like a lot of... I think that that was something that was pretty common yes. in then. Yes. yes. Agreed. Agreed. Um, he wound up contracting gonorrhea hmm. and apparently was very angry about being diagnosed with gonorrhea, which, I mean, okay. I, mean, I wouldn't exactly throw a party. I know, exactly. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, but even though he was angry about his diagnosis, he continued to have unprotected sex with the sex workers. Um, so well, then not he a, deserved it. Not exactly the best practice. Yes. Yeah, like, if correct. you don't like the fact that you got diagnosed with it, hey, Why take just... some measures to not have it get worse or contract the clap, too. You yeah, exactly. Know? Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Let's reel it in a little bit there, buddy. Yes. So his marriage to Claudia did not even last a full year. Yeah. Yeah. So not long after uh, he returned back, he married Marsha, his second wife. Uh, This was in 1973. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Correct. And uh, she did give birth to his son, Matthew, who was born in 1975. So during this marriage to Marsha, Gary became incredibly religious. So Gary found Jesus and he would even go door to door and preach to his neighbors so, so kind of like uh, Mormons, is there in Salt Lake City? <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah. 
I don't think they're any longer in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. I think at this point, um, they're already in the Washington area, Washington Ah, State area at this point. Um, But definitely went from like zero to 60 on the religion. Gotcha. So he would go door to door and preach. He would read aloud from the Bible while he was at work. And at home, he would insist that Marsha follow the strict religious practices of their pastor. So he was incredibly like religiously domineering, I guess, and demanding. Interesting. Yes. So according to women who had had relationships with him, Gary's appetite for sex was insatiable. He would demand sex from his partners multiple times a day, and he would request that he and his partner have sex in public places. Oh. Yeah. Including the wooded areas that were later discovered to be his preferred dumping grounds for his many victims. Oh, shit. Yeah. It really is all connected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marsha, 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 (laughs) Marsha also claimed that Gary was physically abusive. Mm. And uh, she stated that he had once placed her in a chokehold while they were arguing. Lovely. Yeah. Nice. Gary would later admit that he had a fixation with sex workers. Kind of like his father, he would like complain about, the fact that they existed in the neighborhood, but he would also hire their services. So he seemed to be very torn between my real, his religious beliefs and his limitless need for sex. Interesting. Yes. And it's like, you're giving these sex workers business. So why, why wouldn't they hang around? Correct. Correct. Um, it is said that Gary murdered at least 71 teenage girls and women throughout the 1980s and 1990s near Seattle and Tacoma, Washington. In court statements, he later stated that he killed so many people he lost count. Jesus. Yes. His murder spree was most active between 1982 and 1984. So just in the short two year span was when he was the most murdery. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. And deadly. I was looking for the word deadly. <laughs> murdery. But murdery came out. No, I, I like, mean, I like murdery better. That's me, fine. me too. Um, I mean, I don't. <laughs> no, I like the word. But I do. Yes. Yes. Um, so the victims were believed to either be sex workers or runaways, mm-hmm. uh, that Gary could pick up along the Pacific highway South in order to trick the women and the girls into trusting him and thinking he was safe to go with. Gary would oftentimes show the women a picture of his son. Oh, like wow. Like, to, to per- appear sympathetic. So, of course, after hiring them, they would engage in sexual activity. Mm-hmm. But after a few minutes of intercourse, usually from behind, was his practice, mm-hmm. Gary would wrap his forearm around the front of their necks and place them in a chokehold. Mm. Similar move that he mm-hmm. used on his wife. On his wife. Right? Yep. Um, he would then use his other arm to pull back tightly and strangle them. Uh, The victims were killed in either a secluded area, inside his truck, or even at his home. Wait, what? Yeah. At his home? At his home. Oh, shit. Crazy, crazy. Most of their bodies were dumped in wooded areas around the Green River and near the uh, Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were two confirmed bodies found in Portland, Oregon, that were victims of Gary Ridgway. Uh, Two suspected victims' bodies were also discovered. So there was two confirmed victims, two suspected victims in Portland. Got it. Um, in some cases he would all even pose the bodies when they, uh, before they were found. I feel like that's a common practice. I feel like that's a common practice as well. Whether it's to take photos or draw them, it's just, they're always in some kind of set position. Right. And I, I also know just from watching documentaries and things like that, a lot of times killers will pose their victims to further humiliate them, Mm -hmm. like leave them splayed, leave them, you know, that type of a thing just to make them even more, um, 
mockable, I guess. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. I can't think of a good word. Yes, <laughs> mockable works. Murdery. Murdery. So, um, da, 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 da. two of Gary's victims remain un- unidentified since all that were discovered of them were their skeletal remains. Um, what he would do now for a person who had an IQ f- in the low eighties. This is actually uh, very cunning. What he would do is he would purposefully litter the dump sites with gum, cigarettes, and other items belonging to other people. Hmm. Yeah. And he would also transport victims into Oregon to confuse the police. So the victims that were found in Oregon, those definite two confirmed and the two suspected, were driven over state lines after their deaths in order to have the police get more confused in the investigation. I feel like he purposely failed his IQ test. Like, I mean, obviously I'm half joking, but... Well, no, I actually think the reason why he did so poorly on his IQ test is because he was dyslexic. Uh, Like, I think it was more a case of that than his actual inability to, like, perform smartly. No, that that makes (laughs) sense. (laughs) Smartly. Smartly. Um, But no, that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. Because there are different levels of dyslexia. Like, it could be very mild or, obviously, (laughs) IQ-threatening. Right, exactly. Um, So, yeah, I just thought that that was, like I said, very astute for a Mm -hmm. person who scored so low on their IQ test. It was um, just an interesting fact. Agreed. In the early 80s, the King County Sheriff's Office did form a Green River Task Force to focus on the murders. Um, The task force task force members included Robert Keppel, who began his career as a detective investigating the Ted Bundy murders. Okay. Uh, David Reichert was also on the task force. He is actually now a politician. Go figure. Mm. The two men would interview uh, Ted Bundy as part of the task force while he was on death row in Florida in 1984. Mm -hmm. And Bundy offered his opinions on the psychology, motivations, and behavior of the killer. He even suggested that the killer was revisiting the dump sites to have sex with his victims. Interesting. And suggested that if police had found a fresh grave, they should stake it out and wait for him to come back. Okay, Ted Bundy. These assumptions of necrophilia turned out to be true. Of course they did. Yes. Of course. Because for all of his evilness and his, like, just absolute, utter, disgusting, monstrous behavior, Ted Bundy was bright. Yes, he was. And for him to look at his behaviors and his patterns and see similarities in these behaviors and patterns, he knew that there was likely a... A pattern of this happening. So definitely, definitely interesting and obviously helpful. Good job, Ted Bundy. Yes. I mean, that's the only thing I'll ever say. Exactly. Exactly. That you do. Correct. Correct. You know. Um, Gary Ridgway later explained that he didn't find the behavior of the necrophilia uh, more sexually satisfying, but he stated that having sex with his deceased victims would help curb the, quote, need to seek out living victims. Now, this wasn't a sign of mercy, no. He said that it was so he wouldn't get caught. It reduced his chances of being caught if he reduced his number of victims. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Douglas, who also contributed to the Green River Task Force by developing the criminal profile that detectives used to investigate the crime. John Douglas, of course, is best known as the FBI agent who developed the criminal profiling program in the FBI as part of the Behavioral Science Unit. Mm-hmm. He wrote many books on criminal psychology, most notably... Mindhunter. Uh, <laughs> I had to mention it because it is my personal favorite true crime 
series. Mm-hmm. Ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever. And did anybody see the article that they might be coming back out with season three? No, I did not see yes. that. I was so excited. It came up on like my Google, you may be interested in article page. Well, yes, Google. I am very interested. <laughs> I am quite interested. So basically, there's no like confirmations yet. Nobody signed contracts, whatever. But the producer, creator, writer mm-hmm. has said like he's definitely open to start to work out a deal with Netflix nice. to possibly bring it back for season nice. three. Because I know a lot of people wanted it to come back and <sighs> it was very up in the air. Yeah. I'm obsessed with that show. That's a show that I can watch over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It is so good. Two seasons. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, anyhow, getting back to real, well, I mean, those are real murders. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, anyway. back to our, back to our current murder at hand. So Gary Ridgway was arrested in 1982 on charges related to solicitation. So solicitation of prostitution. Yes. Uh, but did not become a suspect in the green river killings until 1983. Um, in 1984, he took a polygraph test and passed, which of course we all know the reason why polygraphs are not admissible in court is because they are incredibly fallible as, as noted here. Um, he stayed on the suspect list and on April 7th, 1987, police did take hair and saliva samples from Gary. Okay. Now, around 1985, Gary began dating another woman named Judith Mawson. I know. These guys just rack up the ladies. I I just, I don't. How? You know, there's an ass for every seat, I guess. I mean, I guess. But, like, to hear that these horrible killers and serial killers are married up to thrice times. Like, (laughs) once, twice, and thrice. Yes. I just really wanted to say thrice. You did. Let's be real. I saw it all over your face. Um, I I don't, I don't understand that. That's that's puzzling to me. I agree. But I mean, I guess you don't really know until you know, you don't or know until you know. it's too late because you become one of the victims. That's, but you don't know till you know. It's just it's insane to me. I, insane. I agree. So, um, like I said, it was 1985 when he began dating Judy Mawson, and she did marry him in 1988. Judith claimed that when she moved into his house while they were dating, he didn't have a carpet laid down. Detectives later told her that they suspect he used the carpet to wrap up his victims. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Makes sense. Yes. Um, she also said that Gary would leave for work early in the morning on some days, telling her that he was trying to get overtime pay. And then, of course, later assumed that some of the murders may have been committed on while Sundays. he would he would leave early for yep. those, those shifts. Yeah. Um, she did state, however, that she had no reason to suspect Gary of any crimes during their marriage and that she hadn't even heard of the Green River murders before she was contacted by police when, about time when he was arrested because she never watched the news. Mm. So she had no idea that these murders were even like a thing. Unreal. Yes. So. Yeah. But when you, like when you go out and get your groceries, (laughs) wouldn't you hear the ladies talking? Well, I just, I think it's. I mean, obviously, like, I I feel like we're probably more in tune to it because there's an interest there for, Mm. like, criminology and things that are happening, especially, like, in your area. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess if you're just one of those people who are, like, ignorance is bliss, I don't want to watch the news, it's too sad, too depressing, so I just go about my business. I mean... Sure. I'm one of those people. I don't like watching the news, and I do like to be... to have that ignorance is bliss kind of a thing, but I still know... Yeah, things I mean, that are happening, maybe not to the extent of knowing all the details, but like somebody will mention something, be like, "Oh yeah, I I saw something briefly about that." And yeah, kind of move on. Well, and I just feel, I mean, of course, now 
in today's day and age because of social media. Mm. You do see the news even when you're not seeking it out. Sure, because it's being true. talked about kind of in your face. So unless you're watching the news every night, like the six o'clock news, or like you said, you go out and get groceries, you see it on the front page of the newspaper. If you're just like not paying attention, yeah, it could probably really pass you by, especially when it, you know, this was before a 24 hour news cycle. This mm-hmm. is before, you know, internet and all that stuff. So I just, I find it hard to believe though, in, to agree with you. I find it hard to believe that you live in Seattle there's a serial killer in Seattle mm-hmm. that's been active now for, at this point, at least eight years. Yep. And you've never heard of him? Right. And that, I, I do agree with that. Like, it's an extended period of time, I correct. understand what you're saying. And did she not listen to the radio either? Yeah. Because even if you don't listen to just, like, the news stations, they do, do like, breaking, breaking news. news. It's local, like so that. it's going to be yeah. talked about. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree with you. Okay. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. You're not getting an argument from me. <laughs> I try to play devil's advocate, but I agree with you. Yes, yes. Um, so when interviewed from prison, Gary stated that while he was married to Judith, his kill rate went down because he truly did love her. Of oh. his 49 known victims, only three were killed after he married Judy. Oh, wow. not that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. She told an interviewer later that she felt that she had actually saved lives by being his wife and making him happy. Yes. I, I can agree with that to an extent. Yes. Like, no matter how betrayed and probably, like, skeeved you are about the fact that your husband killed 49 people... Well, 49 plus yes, people. Yes. Um, it does have to kind of in your mind, give you a little bit of peace of like, but while I was there, he was doing it less. I was, mm-hmm. I was, was saving lives. So I'm, I mean, I get, Hey girl, however you can sleep at night and justify the knowledge that your husband was doing this. I completely understand. Legit. I, I really do. Legit. So the samples that were collected from Gary in 1987 were finally run for DNA profiling, which gave him, I know I love DNA, (laughs) it's the best, which uh, gave investigators enough evidence for an arrest warrant on November 30th, 2001. Jesus Christ. Yes. Gary was at work as a spray painter at the Kenworth truck factory when police arrived to arrest him. He was arrested on suspicion of murdering four women nearly 20 years earlier. And the reason why only four women is because the DNA evidence that they collected linked semen left Mm. on those four victims. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, The four victims that were named in the original indictment were Marsha Chapman, Opal Mills, Cynthia Hines or Hines. I do apologize. um, And Carol Ann Christensen. Uh, Three more victims, Wendy Caulfield, uh, Deborah Bonner and Deborah Estes were added to the indictment after a forensic scientist identified microscopic spray paint residue. Stop. As the exact brand and composition of paint used at the Kenworth factory during the time frame when the victims were killed. No shit. That's some, like, that is so cool. That's like some <laughs> bones level. Damn. Shit. Yeah, for real. Okay. For real. All I could think of, for those of you guys who've watched Bones, were you a Bones watcher? Yes, I okay. was. All I think about is Hodgins, King of the Lab, <laughs> like finding that out, because that's who would have figured uh-huh. that out, you know? Absolutely. Just makes me happy. King of the Lab. <laughs> so on November 5th, 2003, Gary Ridgway entered a guilty play, guilty A guilty plea to 48 charges of aggravated first degree murder as part of a plea bargain agreed to in June of that year. The deal would save him from the death penalty in exchange for his cooperation in helping investigators locate the remains of his victims and in providing further details of his crimes. Okay. Now, I kind of 
can okay hold that thought so <laughs> holding hold that thought. yeah so gary explained that he had killed all of his victims inside king county washington and that he had transported and dumped the remains uh, over the border like i had mentioned earlier mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. throw off police uh De- deputy prosecutor jeffrey baird noted in court that the deal contained quote the names of 41 victims who would not be the subject of the state versus ridgeway if it were not for the plea agreement so that's why I can understand yeah. the plea agreement. Because otherwise, it would have just been the seven original women. Not saying, not saying that that's not enough, but thinking about the other women, so the additional 41 victims that then were included because they were able to work out this deal. Right. You know? Right. I got you. I got what you're saying. So when you think about, so on December 18th, 2003, Gary Ridgway was sentenced to 48 life sentences with no possibility of parole. Good. And one additional life sentence, because there was another victim that we'll, we'll discover in just a moment. Okay. And one additional life sentence to be served consecutively. So not at the same time, in a row. Nice. He was also sentenced to an additional 10 years for tampering with evidence for each of the 48 victims, adding 480 years to his 48 life sentences. So basically, he's not going nowhere. Correct. He's now, going to rot. Correct. Now, I know that there's a lot of people who make the argument for like, well, that's a wa- uh, a waste of taxpayer money, but you're s- the, the end is still the same. He's still going to die mm-hmm. without his freedom. He's still going to die in jail. Mm-hmm. It's just unfortunately going to take longer. Yes. Um, and there was even a quote in the article that I was uh, pulling from where the prosecutor said, like, does he deserve to live? No. But these families of these additional 41 victims deserve to know what happened to their kids. Agreed. So Agreed. I, I can understand that trade off. I do. I completely understand that trade off. Agreed. And I mean, think of it this way. He's suffering in jail, dealing with oh, the environment, the gross food. Just, I'm sure people didn't like him because, oh, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. So it's not like he's sitting pretty, sipping tea, you mm-hmm. know, like he's... Yes. Yes, is he having three square meals a day? Sure, but his life is probably a GD living hell. So, right. And yeah. his three meals a day are probably gross as fuck. They're gruel. Yes. Um, <laughs> so Gary was able to lead prosecutors to three bodies in 2003. On August 16th of that year, the remains of a 16-year-old girl found near mm, an Enumclaw. Sure. Where, uh, where is it? Enumclaw? Um, an- uh, I have no idea. We're looking it up, folks. Yeah, because this is this is word. Weird, not That's word. My I was not typing words at all. Or numclaw, like maybe the e is silent. Enumclaw. Enumclaw. Okay. Enumclaw. Got it. Thank you, Google. Thank you. Okay, so Enumclaw. Sixteen-year-old girl found near Enumclaw, Washington, only forty feet off of State Route Four Ten. The victim's name was Patty Annette Avent, who had been believed to be a victim of the Green River Killer, but had since or hadn't been discovered at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two bodies that he led investigators to were of Marie Malvar and April Butram, uh, both found in September of 2003. Wow. So the skull of another victim, Tracy Winston, who was only 19 when she disappeared from the Northgate Mall on September 12th, 1983, was found on November 20th, 2005. Jesus Christ. I know. By a man hiking... 22 years later? Wow. Crazy. Just just I know. I know. By a man hiking in a wooded area near Highway 18, southeast of Seattle. 
So Gary Ridgway, Gary Gary Ridgway confessed to more confirmed murders than any other American serial killer. Now Samuel Little has the highest number of confirmed murders, Mm -hmm. but he didn't confess to them all. Right. So because Gary Ridgway confessed, he's like, I guess his is his is also like a notable number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fucking people. Just way too many people that too many people he killed. Yes. Yes. Um, over a period of five months of police and prosecutor interviews, he confessed to 48 murders, 42 of which were on the police's list of probable Green River killers. Nope. <laughs> He's the Green River killer. <laughs> I'm an idiot. He confessed to Green River killers. Murmur. Um, uh, he confessed to, where the fuck did I just go? Where's my brain? <laughs> confessed to 48 murders, 42 of which were on the police's <laughs> list of probable Green River killer victims. So... They already, in their investigations, they already assumed these 42 were his, and they were. Mm -hmm. Um, In one taped interview, he initially told investigators that he was responsible for the deaths of 65 women. In another taped interview, he claimed he had murdered more than 71 victims. Jesus. And confessed to having had sex with all of them before killing them, which was a detail he hadn't revealed until after his sentencing. So I guess that's why there was no sex crime in his original indictment. Right, because he didn't. In his confession, he acknowledged that he targeted sex workers because they were, quote, easy to pick up and that he, quote, hated most of them. (sighs) Yeah. What did he blame that on his father? Probably. Well, you know what? Probably. Mm -hmm. He confessed that he had sex with his victims' bodies after he murdered them. uh, But he claimed he began to bury his later victims to resist the urge to commit necrophilia. I mean, why? Why? Like, why? Why? <laughs> why do you have to resist the urge? Like, why? should already be able to resist it. Legit. Uh, he said that murdering young women was his career. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Gary Ridgway was placed in solitary confinement at the Washington State Penitentiary in January 2004. On May 14th, 2015, he was transferred to the USP Florence high security federal prison east of canyon city colorado okay but in september 2015 correction secretary bernie warner announced that he would go back to washington in order to be quote easily accessible for open murder investigations i have a feeling they were going to try and use him the way that they used ted bundy gotcha and i mean it wouldn't i like when they do that i think that is a very smart move make him worth his fucking while exactly exactly if he's not getting the death sentence and use him Every little bit that you can. Agreed. Uh, so he did eventually return to the Washington State Penitentiary on October 24th, 2015, where he is still alive today. <sighs> yeah. Craziness, craziness. Um, so, yeah. With the total of people who were murdered, suspected through his confessions, all of that stuff, this there's a suspected 61 lives taken way too soon by Gary Ridgway. Jesus Christ. And some of them so young. Actually, if so you young. if you look at the victims list, most of them were very young. That's there so was actually sad. one that they didn't include that he I think he did wind up confessing to, but they didn't include him on the original list because she was quote too old. She was thirty five years old because his victimology was like fifteen, sixteen. Uh, like the oldest was like nineteen, twenty right. years so, old. So still late teenager to late teen, late early twenties yeah. was oh, his like. Wow. So that's gross, disgusting Gary Ridgway. He is gross and disgusting. Gross, disgusting Gary Ridgway. Let's look up to see how old he is now. 
Hopefully close Gary to Jeff. Ridgeway. There he is. Um, 72 years old. Okay. I mean, 72. he's getting up there. Getting up there, but he is, yes, indeed still alive. Um, and he is still in the uh, Washington State Penitentiary. Well, hopefully he's helping investigators with current open cases and stuff like that. Like, I mean, it doesn't make him a better person. No, absolutely not. It just, not. he owes it to these he, people. He like, owes it to the victims that he took away yes. to help there be less victims in the world by helping catch other murderers. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But, yeah, so, Gary Ridgeway. Wow. Green River Killer. Don't like him. Yeah, and Not you know what's, what's really weird about him? Well, I don't think it's really weird. So he was arrested in November of 2001, so mm-hmm. of course right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. So I think because of the fact that the news was inundated and focusing so much on 9-11, you didn't hear much about it. That's true. Um, because this is, again, another one that I didn't know about until much later of watching documentaries and stuff like that and then finally learning about Green River Killer. Yeah. I mean... When a serial killer gets arrested, you usually know, know about, about it. it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it just happened to be the circumstance of when he was arrested that I guess it kind of flew under the... For anybody who isn't from that area, flew under the radar. I agree. Um, I agree. Because, I mean, September 11th was a huge deal. Big, big, uh, big news story. Just just saying. Just so bit. that kind of trumps everything in that time frame. Correct. Correct. Um, but, yeah, I agree. That's probably why didn't know about him until... A couple of years later. A few, yeah, quite a few years later. Yeah. But, but anyway, so Jeez. that's tonight's bed crime story. So uh, thank you all so much for listening as per usual. We think you guys are great. We love you all very, very much. We appreciate you all very, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. much. A lot, a lot. A lot, a lot. Uh, please come seek us out on the social media. Social meets. The social meets. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at bed crime stories. You can email us bedcrimestoriespod.com at gmail.com story suggestions just say hey Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh all of that fun stuff we appreciate all of it um we just love hearing from you guys we appreciate everything you do who doesn't love getting mail slash emails like yeah not and not like um advertisements or spam or work emails just like hey thinking about you guys and like you know what we're thinking about you too yeah just say hey like just say hey if you're just chilling and you're like you know what Let's ring up the girls and see yeah, how they're doing. See what's going on because you're our friends. Yes, so we want to we want to know all about you. We do. We mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, like, rate, review, subscribe, leave five stars wherever you listen. That all helps us get all of the stars. That helps us get in front of as many people as possible and into the ear holes of as many people as possible. <laughs> um, tell a friend. Uh, we think you're all really groovy. Thank you so much for listening, as always, Mm -hmm. and we'll talk to you all next week. But until then, sweet sweet dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.